This podcast was recorded on Friday, July the 22nd. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainers, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Now, this episode has a bit of an end-of-term feel to it. We've been allowed to take our games into playing the classroom, and we thought we'd do something different for you this week. So, no good week, bad week. Instead, we're going to discuss our personal highlights and lowlights of the year so far on Planet Pharmacy. Coming up, Wells' COVID policy, shenanigans at the RPS, local success stories, the fuller stock take, assessment exam fiasco, pharmacogenomics, pharmacy closures, and much more besides. So, let's get started. Rob. What's been your highlight or low light of the year so far? Uh, thanks, Richard. I'm going to start with uh, a positive story for me. Uh, and it's a positive partly because I feel like I've been writing material about uh, integrated care for a very, very long time. And um, we've had a really positive example this year of pharmacy engaging with a with a process that's been a success, I think, um, and and may well be a um, a, w- a way to think about how pharmacy should do more of this kind of uh, engagement early in processes to get better outcomes. So I'm talking about the fu- I'm going to talk about the fuller stock take and um, how that was dealt with in community pharmacy and what the outcome of that is and why it's important, really. So. Uh, In November 2021, the chief executive of the NHS, that's the new chief executive, Amanda Pritchard, asked a Surrey GP, uh, Claire Fuller, she also happens to be the chief executive of the um, integrated care system in that area, to carry out what was called a stock take of of where primary care was, uh, where integrated care was, and what was working well uh, and why, and how to accelerate care integration across systems. Not not a an important thing in and of itself, but um, along the pathway to integrated care systems, quite a significant piece of work, I think, chief executive of the NHS and somebody who was going to be a significant player in the in the new system in the future. And um, like many things in pharmacy that appears to come directly out of the NHS and be about something that we don't really know much about. Um, there were organisations who didn't think this, there was much to this, but, but fortunately for pharmacy, the National Pharmacy Association thought this was quite an important piece of work. And boy, did they roll their sleeves up and get stuck in. And I think that was significant uh, because the fuller stock take has turned out to be an important piece of work. Um, the next steps for integrating primary care report was... Uh, lauded when it arrived by senior officials within the NHS um, and it uh, captured I think a, a really important set of things for community pharmacy because the NPA managed to get pharmacists in all the work streams and all the working groups uh, really just in a lot of cases explaining what pharmacy is and can do um, but importantly then 
resulting in pharmacy getting name checked, not only in the report, but also in in meetings and presentations about the report afterwards as a significant element of, of primary care and in, an important area that needs to be invested in for the future. Um, you know, we've all seen over the years, these kind of things come and go, and then pharmacy pharmacy's engagement with them is to get hold of the final report and uh, search for how many times the P word uh, appears in the output. Um, uh, in this case, the MPA got in at the beginning, uh, put up some really good people to engage with the process. Um, I think made some lasting relationships as part of the as part of the work, and and definitely spread the word the word about uh, what community pharmacy can do within the system far and wide. And I think that's why that for me is a highlight, identifying something early, getting involved, rolling your sleeves up, putting a lot of effort in and seeing some results at the end of it. And I think a platform for further work, which will continue to raise the profile of pharmacy and start to embed it in these new systems. That's a highlight for me, Richard. Uh, Great start. Thanks for that, Rob. Um, Arthur, then, what about you? What have you got for us? Uh, I'll kick off with another highlight as well. Um, Also, hello from Planet Pharmacy. I like that. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to talk about, um, oh, we we hear a lot about how community pharmacists are going to have a more clinical future and move away from uh, dispensing as being their kind of their primary function, uh, possibly. And an area where I think we've had that sort of taken begun to take shape this year is pharmacogenomics sort of gene testing to determine whether um, a particular medicine can be used safe safely or effectively for for a given patient um and it's used at the moment to to decide whether to use certain uh, chemotherapy drugs and it may 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 be used um to uh with antidepressants although i think the evidence there is a little bit weaker at the moment but i think it's a big uh, clinical area and um yeah and the role of pharmacists the future role of pharmacists is sort of uh coming to the fore this year i think there was a report from the royal college of physicians and the british pharma pharmacological society this year um they say uh, genomic testing should be more widely used to determine whether patients will will benefit from medicines at the moment it's a bit of a, a postcode lottery with poor availability of tests. And they say that community pharmacists should play uh, a really critical role in kind of, um, well, well, firstly, they, they call for it to be much more um, standardized um, with the new ICS structures. They say there should be um, uh, th- th- there should be per- per- someone tasked with, with rolling out pharmacogenomics in each ICS area and com- community pharmacists within that uh, playing a really important role because they have such um, uh, such so, so, so many interactions with patients, and um, and yeah, I think it could be. I mean, it's it's still uh, it's still early days, but I think it's a an exciting area for pharmacists. Uh, the RPS earlier this year, they called for pharmacogenomics to be integrated into the MPharm degree, uh, which you know, if it is, then I think gives you an indication that this could be a really important uh, part of clinical practice in the years to come. Yeah, fascinating area of practice that's going to be, that's for sure. All right, thanks, Arthur. That was great. Um, Neil, what's grabbed your attention? 
Well, I'm going to I'm going to counterbalance the the chap's positivity um, by going for a low light. I mean, I've been accused. Oh, of, really? I, I, I've been accused of uh, being quite negative and, and critical, so I don't want to disappoint my public. So um, I, I'm going to I'm going to go for the GPHC and the um, <clears throat> assessment debacle. Another assessment debacle. Of course, we're I think we're all pretty uh, aware of what happened uh, last month with the assessment, but this is not. I think we're on familiar territory here. Um, yeah. I, I, the GPHC. I mean, they they just can't seem to get a handle on the assessment and how to and how to uh, run a proper assessment. And I think it's pretty appalling. Um, and that uh, there's been a lot of stories, both both positive and negative, uh, over certainly over the last year. But that's that for me. That's the one that's kind of stood out. Um, and they seem to surpass themselves uh, with, with each assessment. And it's it's not a laughing matter. It's 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 really appalling for students. And you know, it's literally you, you know you're playing with people's lives here. And, and um, Exams are stressful enough, we know that, um, without having to deal with the kind of things that the pharmacy students have had to deal with over the, over uh, certainly last month and 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 before that. Um, I don't understand why uh, our reg- the regulator can't uh, get this right. Uh, I understand during the pandemic, and this this was the the, the, the fairly reasonable excuse they they rolled out uh, when they didn't. I think it was March twenty one, wasn't it? The the rescheduled assessment, um, which was a complete uh, mess. Um, caused a, a lot of um, you know anxiety and stress for, for students, particularly um, students in Scotland, but but all over the UK. And the reason, the reasoning behind it, which and you can kind of see it, that, you know, that it was a pandemic. Uh, they'd never held an assessment in in those conditions before. You can kind of see that. But you know, I, I don't know whether it's they're choosing the wrong provider. Uh, it was Pearson Vu. Um, now it's obviously BTL, the latest one. But, you know, these are decisions you you, you just have to get right. It's utterly ridiculous. So for, for me, uh, GPHC, uh, I, I, if I was a student looking to sit the next assessment, whenever that is, I'd be dreading it, to be quite honest. And that's not how it should be. So uh, awful, not a low light, an awful light, General Pharmaceutical Council. Yeah, thanks, Neil. It, it has been. We discussed it on the on the pod last week, caused an enormous amount of, of trauma and upset for, for the young trainees. And as you say, Neil, it's... Uh, ruining people's lives and uh, and Arthur made the point last week that he hopes you know there should be an independent review of the process to, to try and to try and stop this this happening again um an independent review you know not not just a gphc review and we'll see if they manage to iron out the problems i mean again like we discussed this last week a, a short-term fix would be to to go back to to pen and paper in the way they used to do it before with the the universities invigilating uh while they work out you know a longer term solution in fact is is it even fit for purpose the the uh, registration assessment i'm not sure uh but yeah that that was a a, a really bad low like nearly you're absolutely right and of course it's it's not over yet we wait to see what the the gphc uh does next so and um, well i'll finish off the first round well i'll go for a low light then for for the sake of balance um and my low light well for me, by a long way, is, is the workforce crisis. Uh, bless you, Emily. Workforce crisis coupled with um, the worsening situation regarding pharmacy closures and now causing significant disruption to, to patient care. Um, situation not helped by an increasingly ugly public spat uh, between the PDA and the CCA, which is a, a terrible look for the sector. Um, and I sometimes think if if people put the same energy into trying to find solutions to what is a is a serious, complex sector wide problem as they do to 
to name calling and, and, and blaming the other side, we, we might be in a better place. Very easy to agitate by a press release and social media and, and blame pharmacy owners for everything or locums for everything as if it's a, a binary argument. Far harder to work through what is a very complex, multifaceted problem, as I say, yet that is exactly what we expect our leadership bodies to do. And finally, I think there has to be some accountability here as far as the government is concerned. You know, we're only in this pickle uh, because vast chunks of funding have been ripped out of the sector in recent times. It's, it's, it's just unsustainable, but we need to work through the problem as a sector, I think, and, and, and not resort to, to sound bites and name calling. Uh, Neil, you, you did, you did the story yesterday on this on Pharmacy Network News. Um, and what did you think of it all? Well, it's, um, <laughs> there's two views you can take really, Richard. I suppose one, one view would be, you know, what, why air your dirty linen in public as a profession? We've seen, we've heard this argument countless times down the years you know it's got fragmentation and, uh, and and different factions pulling apart it's not healthy for the profession and also it, it plays into the government's hands you've got a government that already thinks there's too many pharmacies and um and how is this going to play out in terms because the psnc are in the middle of <clears throat> talking to the government of course as we know so you know the, the, the contractual framework negotiations so this is this a good time to be doing this kind of thing maybe maybe not but the, the other view is of course um and i'm kind of not siding with the PDA here, but you know, if and I'm saying if this is true, and and uh, and locums are being put in this position uh, by some big chains, then it does need to be <clears throat> it does need to be investigated and, and aired. So, I, so you know, the PDA says it has evidence. Uh, they've got evidence of this. So we want to see the evidence. It'd be nice if they could actually, you know, show us the evidence, provide it. They've made a lot of strong statements. Uh, Particularly Mark Cosio has made a lot of strong comments in uh, the last uh, few days about this. Let's see the evidence. And 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 then, once we've got that, uh, uh, so we can all look at it, I think the CCA would probably be in a, a quite an awkward position. Uh, at the moment, the CCA are quite comfortable just to sort of retort with, well, there is a workforce crisis, and and, and that's the reason why there are, there are closures, because the pharmacists are available. But the PDA can, can certainly, you know, go a long way to resolving that by showing us what they've got. Rob, what, what's your take on, on this situation? Um, I don't know whether I've got a take on this. I just think it's a bit of an unedifying spectacle, all this Yarboo calling. Is anybody actually trying to sort this out or even bring people together to to talk about talk about the issues? Isn't it isn't it sort of summit time? Uh, all this kind of Yarboo stuff that's going on isn't really helping, is it, other than uh give Neil something to write about. Um, so, you know, that's that's the thing for me. I mean, wh- where's where's the next step uh, to, to not only really bottoming out what the situation is, but also thinking about what the impact of this is continuing on some of the commitments that have been made within the contract uh, and, and often at a local level too to deliver services. I mean, it, it strikes me that one of the things that's, that's happened in the last 12 to 18 months is that we've moved away from um, a contract which was, let's face it, a kind of uh, do it if you fancy it, sort of pick and mix set of service offers to to one in which uh, the public are being directed from one place and into another uh, where you can't choose to to not deliver a service if, if they turn up. 
And I think um, in the usual way, and I've gone on about this too often on these, too often on these um, these podcasts, um, a lack of a lack of attention to implementation. So so here we are with a, with a challenge that appears to be getting worse, and a lot of name calling, but not a lot of actual progress on what are we actually going to do about it, and what is the impact not just on on teams struggling to deliver services in the face of what appears on the what appears to be a workforce challenge, but what's the impact on patients and the public from this? Uh, and is that getting better or getting worse? Uh, that's what bothers me. Okay, well, this was this will run and run, won't it? I'm sure we're still going to be talking about this uh, in the summer and, and and throughout the rest of the year, if not beyond. Um, so, yeah, let's pause it there for the moment and and see what transpires. All right, there. Well, let's go round the table again. Rob, you've uh, you've given us your, your highlight with the, the fuller report or the fuller stock take. Um, what about your lowlights? Yeah, let's keep the trough going then, eh, Richard? Given that uh, you uh, and Neil have, are going to finish with highlights, hopefully, which would be a nice way to finish. So my low light has to be the slow-moving car crash that's a professional leadership body, the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. Uh, an organisation that uh, gives every uh, semblance that it knows the value of every uh, the cost of everything, the value of nothing. Um, so let me declare something first up. I'm a member. I'm sitting here looking at four certificates on the wall. I've got my nice card noting I've now clocked up 40 years of continuous membership, or the, or I will on the 31st of August this year. But the RPS of today doesn't feel to me like the RPS that I joined in 1982. And that's not just because it's no longer the regulator. It used to be part of what defined a pharmacist. Uh, uh, I'm old enough to remember the time when local branch meetings were, for students, a vital part of professional socialisation. It's the first time many of us came into contact with um, members of the profession from across the sectors locally to us and and, and got to meet them. Um and I think many pharmacists would in part define themselves through their membership of their professional body. And that's, honestly, that's a, a good thing to do. Um, so what's happened this year has been a very painful watch. Uh, and it's been a painful thing to report about. Um, and it seems to represent a further departure from the organisation that uh, many of us feel proud to be a member of. Um, redundancies of two senior executives and senior expert pharmacists, they were two first denied, then admitted, then bizarrely framed in press releases which suggested they had decided to leave in the same way that I decide to have lunch, I think. Um, the departure after 109 years from an organisation, the RPS's predecessor body had a large hand in founding the International Pharmacists Federation, which weirdly announced on Twitter by a former president. And then we had a frankly bizarre statement that a court red-handed RPS issued, which said, we will continue to be an active participant in global pharmacy policy uh, by leaving the global pharmacy policy organisation. Uh, and let's not forget the RPS hosted FIP's annual get together, the massive conference, as recently as 2018. There was the further reveal on Twitter. This time, I think it was from the chair of the English Pharmacy Board, the RPS was no longer pursuing Royal College status. And that aroused the ire of many of those who bore the scars of the debates back in 28, 
2008, 2009, 2010 that led to the establishment of the RPS in the first place, the new RPS, and who thought the long-term objective was a settled matter as part of that. Um, and it's since transpired that many in the RPS hierarchy have no real actual understanding of what a Royal College is and where they sit in the professional landscape for, for example, the medical professions. And even now, they clearly haven't been bothered to find out what one is either. Um, and particularly and importantly, I think, how that direction of travel came about in, in those debates uh, more than 10 years ago. And if someone tells you now that it's about a name change, then, and that's still going on, then they're one of the people who hasn't bothered to find out. Um, the, now, the new RPS Assembly met this week, and it found itself now unable to demonstrate the most obvious reverse ferret by committing to rejoin FIP, uh, and is now going to in, consult with the membership. Um, so, good. Uh, and meanwhile, the newly appointed UK Commission of Leadership, Commission on Leadership, a started meeting and that I think only exists because someone somewhere clearly thinks the RPS hasn't a clue what it's doing. Yeah thanks Rob. Um, what do you call it a slow moving car crash? It, it has been a slow moving car crash and and as you say painful to witness. Um, it seemed to me uh, looking at the, the assembly proceedings that they were kicking the issues back into the long grass again Rob. Is that, is that what you thought? I mean yes it seems to be obsessed. I mean, I don't know. Just from what you pick up, I think, around and about the place, it seems to be there's somebody somewhere who questions what value you get from things, as if everything has to be measured in in pounds and presumably in the next few years, shillings and pence, uh, if we're going back to full, full-on imperial. Um, but... Uh, yeah, you know, how do you measure the intangible value of participation in a in a global leadership body? Um, uh, you know, so we haven't got time to go into the the whole Ukraine thing, but you know, the the, the value of international solidarity, I think, is being writ large right now. So I'm sure there are other things in the assembly papers that we that we that we're going to pick up on over the next few months as to as to whether other decisions are being made. And obviously, if you've got if you've got a uh, an overarching commission now looking at the very aspect of the thing that you're supposed to be doing. It's not a good look, is it? No, it, it's it's not a good look. And and some questions need to be, well, are being asked of, of, of the society's leadership. And, and I suspect some sleepless nights maybe had down at the East Smithfield, or maybe not, maybe not, who knows. But the, the, the leadership commission and how that goes about its work uh, is going to be very, very interesting and, and I think heaps a, a load of pressure on, on the RPS. Okay, um, Arthur then, I think you're next. So you've got a low light, Arthur? I do have a low light. Uh, we were talking there about workforce uh, issues and one I think one of the factors over the past few years has been um, staff having to isolate over COVID, which has caused a lot of problems. So in some ways, or in many ways, I can sympathize with an employer who is uh, at the end of their tether with this and um, wants to find some kind of a solution. But at the same time, the story that uh, I, that I'm going to talk about uh, when we published it at the end of April was met with, I think, completely justified horror um, that a multiple would behave like this. I'm talking about when well pharmacy told staff that they were effectively allowed to 
come to work uh, after testing positive for COVID while testing positive for COVID. And it was a matter of personal choice whether or not they wish to to stay at home. And, um, you know, it, 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 they, they, they told staff it wasn't mandatory to, to, to come to work uh, with COVID. But, you know, since given that they were dro- dropping um, uh, the COVID sick pay policy, uh, which which I, I mean, I understand that since kind of at, at the end of June, that the NHS has also dropped its, its COVID sick pay policy. But to actively tell staff that it's a matter of personal choice whether or not they, they come to work and infect uh, their team members and patients, many of whom can be vulnerable, uh, was, was sh- shocking to many readers. And I think particularly, I mean, the NHS, uh, rightly or wrongly, um, made its call. But I think it's it's questionable for for a pharmacy chain to, even though pharmacies are, you know, are businesses, they have NHS contracts, but they're not 100% part of the NHS in the way that a hospital is. But for a health company to jump the gun by a few months on the NHS really uh, took people aback, I think. And... Um, uh, and and it attracted political political scrutiny in Scotland. Labour MP and and Shadow MSP and Shadow Secretary Jackie Bailey, she told us that um, that it was you know that it was a dangerous and kind of ill founded policy, and that she hoped well would 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 drop it. Um, I mean, I've at at the time that we ran the story, I spoke to all the other CCA member companies, and they they said they're they're kind of. There, they were still advising staff to stay home after a positive COVID test, and then I followed it up recently, and they all said, said the same thing. Um, they were a little bit, perhaps a little bit more cagey when it came to to sick pay. So I'm not sure quite what quite what the where the incentives lie across the business, but well, um, seems to be uh, they they were definitely the earliest, and they still seem to be to be standing out among the pack and in, in 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 having taken uh. In, in having taken this decision so uh so yeah that I, that's that's definitely my low light of the year so far yes and uh it was a low light and and well do seem to be still out on their own on this one of our most commented on stories i think of the year so far generated a, a um a massive reaction when we ran that back in april um so yes a, a low light for well there all right, so um, Neil and myself to finish. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I know Neil's got some, some really nice stories to finish on, so I, I'll go next and we let, we let leave Neil, uh, Neil leave us all on a, on a high note. Um, so what's my highlight? Well, we often get accused in the pharmacy press, don't we, of reporting only the bad news. And yeah, there's, there's plenty of that about, of course. But going through our, our coverage this year, I was really struck by all the success stories we've reported when it, it comes to pharmacy service development, especially locally. And we sometimes, well, we often beat ourselves up in the sector, don't we, over the pace of change, slow pace of change, or the capacity constraints that hold pharmacy teams back. And yeah, there's some truth in that, obviously. But at the same time, uh, you can't overlook the significant progress that has been made uh, around the country. And here's just some of the things that we've reported on this year in the last six months or so, whether it's pharmacy first, type services, for example, in Liverpool or Cornwall, and of course, the, the mother of them all, the National Pharmacy First Plus Service in Scotland for, for common clinical conditions. There's been CPCS success in Somerset and elsewhere, um, fantastic services in Greater Manchester or set up by Central Health in the Midlands. You've got prescribing, which is progressing at a pace in Wales and England, 
perhaps, well, belatedly catching up, even earwax removal at Rowland's pharmacies and other private services like Travel Health, which are going from strength to strength, just some of the really positive stories that we've reported on in the mags. And there's lots more besides. And we're going to hear some amazing pharmacists or about some amazing pharmacists from, from Neil as well in a minute. And I kind of tried to to look for some common themes underlining these and uh, joining up these success stories. And, and I think I found a few. Building up good relationships with commissioners is, is the big one. You know, taking the time to, to find out what problems they need fixing and coming up with solutions, delivering what's wanted quickly, you know, seizing the opportunity in a way that delivers maximum value for contractors, commissioners, and, and patients. Um, the importance of good, strong, collaborative local leadership. And, and Rob, you, you talked about this a lot. You're absolutely right. And banging the drum, learning from your mistakes and, and coming back better. Having a proven track record of delivery and consistent delivery at that. And being cost effective, getting the job done, trading on reputation, although that, of course, can can work both ways. So, you know, pharmacy is good at all of these things. Pharmacists are natural problem solvers. And when you've got the new national services that are growing, too, with the the, uh, hypertension case finding, that national cancer screening pilot, what an important addition, you know, that could be to our means of, of spotting cancer early. Um, and it's important that these things are seen as complementing the health system. They're not instead of, they are as well as, because they enable GPs and other parts of the wider health economy to see patients with more complex issues. And that's a tremendous amount of value that, that pharmacy can add here. So a lot of positive developments for me amongst the, the various difficulties and problems in the sector. There's more to do, of course, lots of things to be ironed out. Uh, but I think our sector deserves a massive pat on the back for some of the entrepreneurial stuff that's been been going on that, that we've reported on in the, the year so far. So service development has been a, a, a big highlight for me. And uh, Neil, you, you would go along with that, I'm sure, with some of the pharmacists that you've been talking to. Yeah, absolutely, Richard. Yeah, and and, and uh, since the title that I edit is... Uh, championing and um, and showcasing and, um, and supporting independence, uh, I'm going to bang the drum for our award winners um, uh, from our, uh, our awards last year at the House of Commons. So uh, take a bow, John Paul Mackey, Mackey Pharmacy, Car Donald, Hardik Desai, who runs Tysurst Pharmacy in East Sussex, uh, Kent Local Pharmaceutical Committee, of course, the team there, done a great job, uh, Gilbody Pharmacy, Justin Gilbody and his team, uh, who won the Team of the Year award. Um, and Subba Candell, who runs Woolwich Late Night Pharmacy, uh, she won the Innovation Award. Uh, you know, some excellent uh, uh, pharmacists uh, and pharmacy teams, more to the point. Um, and just the great thing about it, it's not showcasing what they do and and, and how they um, go the extra mile for their local communities. But uh, they've all got their own, in their own ways, their own strengths. You know, they do, they, they all do something unique. For their for their local communities and um you know as kent, kent pharmaceutical committee uh, i think supports over 300 community pharmacies across kent and medway they've uh been fantastic shilpa shah at the time was leading um the lpc she's gone on to northeast london she's done a terrific job uh and no doubt will go on to do a fantastic job at northeast london as well um gill body pharmacy the one thing that struck me about their story was um uh, how just battling 
I mean, pharmacies have been battling courageously throughout the pandemic, but Gilbody, uh, the team there, they, they suffered um, a lot. One of their team tragically died. Uh, Leslie, who worked for in community pharmacy for 30 years, and, and she tragically passed away after contracting COVID. Um, and the team just pulled together to, to sort of, um, you know, uh, an unbelievable, um, you know, hit uh, to, to, you know, to, to contend with, but they, they pulled through, they, they did a fantastic job for their team, a tragic story, but, but something great to come out of it. Um, Soba Candel innovation award. Uh, she did an amazing job, with the, the um, hotel COVID quarantine service that caught the judge's eyes. Uh, she ran that service in conjunction with Greenwich, uh, CCG. Um, so again, you know, absolutely a, a, a nightmarishly difficult, job didn't you? I can't imagine what it'd be like to, to set up a, 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 a that kind of service she she made it she made it seem as if it was fairly simple but it, no it was not but she did a great job Hardy Desai extra mile award um again the COVID vaccination center he set up in Sussex uh he did an amazing job recruiting local volunteers uh to help man the center and and the, he grew that team I think to nearly 200 and they were vaccinating, I think nearly a thousand patients a day, 800 patients a day. I mean, just unbelievable stuff really. Um, and John Paul Mackey, who won now independent pharmacist of the year award, uh, his use of technology automation. Uh, we know how important that is. Um, we won't go into <laughs> hub and spoke. That's a, we've done that already, but, uh, but this, this guy is, uh, you know, he's made, he's again, he's made it just look so easy, so seamless and, and, and so simple, but it, it, it takes a lot of money, takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of intelligence. You've got to make the right decisions. Um, there's a lot of, you know, when it comes to automation and technology, there's a lot of options out there. Not always, some of them are not always the right ones. He's made the right decisions. And I think that's really important uh, to, to make the business, you know, to maximize the potential of the pharmacy business. So some excellent winners. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to next uh, this year's awards in September. Right then, so um, we just got time for a quick end of the business. It's been a, a hectic year, hasn't it? And hopefully um, our listeners can grab at least some time away from the pharmacies and head to, to sunnier climes if they can get away <laughs> from the airport, wherever they're flying from. So um, has anyone got any recommendations for some some summer reads, some beach readings or books or, or listenings? Uh, that's a really ugly way of describing it, but you know what I mean. Uh, Rob, what have you? What would you recommend for our listeners? Yeah, thanks, Richard. Well, we're, we're on a podcast and therefore we have listeners. So I thought I'd pick a couple of podcasts that people might want to check out if they haven't seen them already. They're not, they're not podcasts that get you hooked and you have to listen to them forever. They're a couple of series. So uh, first of all, first up, Tortoise Media's podcast series, London Grad on the uh, growing influence of Russia and Russian money in, in Britain. Um, that's an astonishing listen. Uh, some great work by a journalist called Paul Caruana Galizia. Uh, and then one that's particularly close to my heart, given that my dad ran a sub-post office for 20-odd um, years uh, before this all happened. But um, if for anybody who thinks that gross misjustice can't happen in this country to small businesses, just trying to serve their communities. Then uh, BBC Sounds series, uh, The Great Post Office Trial, is well worth a listen. I mean, that is just horrifying how various parties charged with overseeing the system or investigating the issues that was going on basically just denied it. And so many people ended up in court, in jail, 
and the whole unraveling of it is still still making its way through the courts just absolutely disgraceful and, and congratulations again to the to the journalists who stuck with it and um and, and kept going to to reveal all that post office scandal probably one of the if not the worst miscarriage of justice i've i've ever heard about so uh yeah two good recommendations thereof i'll 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 be loading them onto my iphone as i head to spain uh next month and with that i guess we better call it a day that's it for uh, another week school's out for summer we're taking a short break with the podcast but we're going to be back in september so thank you to everyone who's taking the trouble to download and listen to the pod uh, and engage with us on social media uh, it's been great thank you for your, your contributions but don't forget, you can keep up with all the latest in pharmacy in our print editions of the magazines and online and via our daily news service, Pharmacy Network News. Uh, have a great rest of summer. Until September then, thanks very much for listening.